Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Barone. And we have a lot to talk about this week. I am calling from the frozen tundra of Kansas City, where I believe is negative 11 degrees yesterday. Wind chill, by the way, the day before that I was playing tennis outside. But you are right there on the steps of storming the Capitol. Chris, you are talking to me from <laughs> D.C. How is life in D.C.? Well, you know, you... I was watching Star Wars earlier in the week, and it's, you know, that point where Luke and Obi-Wan are like, it is the grossest point of villainy that I've ever seen before. Something when they're talking about Mos Eisley Spaceport, and I, I feel that here that, man, it's a pretty, I love this city. I love, I love Washington, D.C. I do love city. it. I love, I love America. I love the patriotism. I love the history. I love everything about Washington, D.C., but you feel here and you just start feeling scummy. We're hanging out really? and we're just, just, you know, we were at dinner tonight at this place called RPM and it's a really okay. nice Italian restaurant. It's just a couple spots, maybe two blocks up from the Ray Bradburn building here in DC. And for those at home, the Bradburn building is where a lot of the congressional offices are. And so we're sitting there and we noticed a couple Congress members from Arizona and we say hi because you're hobnobbing, right? I'm not hobnobbing. I'm having dinner with some friends. I see unnamed Congress members from Arizona. We're not going to go there, but they were dicks. Sorry. I, sh I shouldn't say that on here. They literally like I'm from They're Arizona. Richard. So you met Richard. They're okay. Richards. They are Richards. Um, but it was like myself and my boss are here. We're both um, Arizona residents. We're Arizona voters. The, the Congress members we met, Arizona only has 11. Both of them are from the Phoenix metro area where we work, and one of them is my Congress member, and they could okay. care less that I walked up and introduced myself and, you know, and I wasn't trying to lobby or anything. I'm just like, I'm one of your constituents. You know, nice to see you here in D.C. We're here with ASU for the week. And he you're from was just Arizona like, State University, and you're right. talking to someone there, local, your congressman. Yeah, theoretically, someone named Richard. I don't know who it was. Right, and Richard and he Congressman. Didn't give you the time of day. No, and all voting. you have to do is shake somebody's hand and say it's great to see you. And we were over at another table having dinner, so I was just saying hello, great to see you, and walking off. Nope, couldn't give me the time of day. And I just look wow. at, and I feel that's indicative of a lot of Washington um, politicians to begin with on both sides of the aisle. All right. Well, where were you wearing a mask? I was, because that's the regulation oh. in D.C. There you go. Then I have no idea why he was so upset. This is this is wrong. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Well, right. now I hope you've had a great experience there in D.C. I, yes. I have some questions for you because I do love D.C. I love the metro system mm -hmm. there. I love the mall. I love running the, down oh, yeah. the mall, but it might have been too cold for you to run. But first, we got to pay our bills. And so uh, this right. podcast is brought to you by Comedian of Laws, CLEs that educate and entertain. We do edutainment, whatever phrase you want to use. We teach at CLEs, and we try to keep attorneys awake at the same time. Chris, we have found that the more a person is asleep, the less, less. they tend to retain. Retention is, is, is the key to, or, or staying awake is key to retention, and that's what we strive to do. And so uh, CLEs bring you, or community law brings you CLEs that educate and entertain. Also, Chris, I just want to put it out there. Our listeners have been doing a great job of leaving reviews, but yes, they we have. need more of you to give us five star reviews. So whatever podcasting platform you use, if you could, if you like our podcast, please give us a five star review. If you do not like our podcast, well, thank you for continuing to listen. <laughs> I guess I don't know why you're wasting your time when there's so many choices out there. But again, it really we we want to grow this year. We have goals and critical to reaching those goals are great a positive reviews. So please yeah. do that, and then Chris will take you to D.C. the next time he goes out there. All right, so, exactly. so you're there in D.C. Now, Chris, I'm going to just put it out there because I know you are good at laying down cover, and, and you try to to dissuade people. You, you, you confuse people, sl sleight of hand kind of thing. <laughs> I know that Monday... Biden is going to be announcing the next Ooh, Supreme yes. Court justice. And you just happen to be in D.C. the weekend before. Is there? Tell us about the correlation there. That cannot be a coincidence. 
I have no idea what you're talking about, Joel. I was not uh, called out here on a special envoy to give uh, advice and or counsel to a president by which I supported many, many years ago in campaign dollars and, and time. I, I, I am appalled that you would think that I would oh be here goodness. on a secret mission for the government to pick if the next Supreme I Court hear, Justice. If I hear on Monday that you are going to be the next Supreme Court Justice and didn't even give me a, a heads up on it, you are out of the, on this podcast. I'm going to lay it right there out there. I, I want a heads up if it's going. Is it going to be you? Just tell. Just tell us, Chris. No, it's not going to be me. I'm not even on the short list. We know who's on the short list, and it is not I, a upper middle class you. white male from Arizona who has no judicial experience. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a second here. Upper class white male from Arizona. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess that would be that would be you. But you know what? Yeah. I, if if it was you, I would support it. I think you'd be great on the, on the Supreme Court. Uh, but before we go there, you are in D.C. Any first of all, have you gone to Moby Dick's to eat yet? I have never been to Moby Dick's to eat, and I come to D.C. all the time. You are not living the D.C. experience. Go Google it tomorrow. Find a Moby Dick's near you. They have the best kebabs there in D.C. This podcast brought to you by Moby Dick's. Just kidding. They, <laughs> I, they have no idea I said that, but I'm telling you, it is. they are great kebabs. I did go to Moby Dick's one time, and I got a kebab, and I saw from the kitchen running a big old rat uh, it, was, it was a rat that went running into the kitchen and so i told the person there who i thought was either the owner or the chef or something i said i just i just saw a rat go into your kitchen he goes oh, rats? Nice. no no sir you, you you are mistaken no rats in our kitchen i go i, no, I just saw it that it was a rat just went running into your kitchen he goes no you must be mistaken no rats in our kitchen so so there you go i despite the fact i just said that it is a great restaurant. I love well, it. All right. You're really selling it here, Joel. Really selling it. <laughs> hey, have you ever had rat on a stick? Not by choice. Don't knock it. Oh, oh not by choice. Okay, so maybe you had tried it. All right. Maybe. I don't know. I've had some pretty messed up dishes in some weird countries, so I could have had rat on a stick. I don't know. You know what? I'm just confusing you with Shrek, so I'm so sorry about that. I got, I got the in my mind Ooh. they were confusing, and so Ooh. it was Shrek that did that. I understand you did not. That was not you, so I, I apologize for that. All right, <laughs> we are going to cover the United States Supreme Court. They are back in session, and so uh, they they back had live. Some, they did back a lot live this too. week. Some interesting developments. So I want you to give us a report right there from Washington, D.C., about what the Supreme Court has been up to. Well, I mean, dressing in all black, showing up to court. Actually, um, we were, uh, my boss and I being here, we were trying to get into the Arizona v. San Francisco hearing that okay. happened on Wednesday morning when we arrived because we heard they were allowing in-person viewing of the Supreme Court again. Uh, we checked their website, and they had taken down all of the stuff that said Supreme Court arguments are not going to be in pers- or allowed for the right. public. So we went, and it was a packed house. What so, time and, did you get there? We got there at like 6.37 a.m. Wednesday morning. Wow. And, and you thought and you were going to get in. We did. We thought we were going to get in, but it nope. It had been packed, and they sat every other seat. Everybody had to wear masks. There were some there were some factors to come into play, but they used to do this thing where you could go in for three, four, five, ten minutes, and then right. they would rotate you out, and then rotate in the next group. And they weren't they don't they are not doing that right now. Now, are you a member of the Supreme Court bar? I am not. I am actually uh, application pending right now. Okay, all right. But I, that's well, one it- of my goals. That was one of my bucket list goals to get done in 2022. That is, I I will tell you, here is the trick that I was told about becoming a member of the Supreme Court bar. When you, uh, so you're turning your application, right? Mm -hmm. There will be a swearing in ceremony. Now you can opt to do that remotely, or you can request to do it live at the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court. Oh, I'm definitely doing it live. Do it live and then pick one of the great controversial high profile cases, because that will guarantee you a seat in the building for oh. that argument. So let's just say this, the case Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned with or one of these big-time cases. Right. If right. you want to be there, have your swearing-in occur on that day. It's a little bit of a trick there and how you can get a, a, a your seat reserved for a high-profile case. I love right. that. 
Well, you were you were there for, or you were not there, but at least you were in the vicinity for the Arizona v. City of and County of San Francisco case. So, right. let's go ahead and talk about it. it. It's one of the items on our agenda. It was a it case is. that the Supreme Court heard this week. Now, let me lay out the best that I understand what this case was about. This case is about how and when a new, an administration a new a new executive administration so like we had right. Trump and now we have Biden there's a new boss in town new sheriff right how can that new administration go about changing rules uh, it, it agency rules now normally right. when you can if you're going to change a substantive agency rule you have to go through a notice period and a comment period. The idea being, if you're going to change an administrative rule, maybe you sh should hear from the public first before right. you go ahead and change that rule, at least substantive rules. And so that's the why you have that notice and comment period. Well, in this case, the issue was the public charge. So here, the, the, right. there was a Trump era immigration policy known as the public charge rule. And in this, you got to understand, actually, let me back up. Back yeah, yeah. There's Clinton's a lot here. Day. There's a lot here to unpack real quick. Yeah. Let, let's go back to, to, to Clinton. I believe it was Hillary's um, uh, first husband was right. the president of the United States. First and so only. he had... Yeah, he had this rule that you wouldn't give a green card status to an immigrant if you thought this immigrant was going to be a public charge. And how he defined that was cash payments. If, if the government was going to have to give out cash payments to this person mm -hmm. in order for him to survive here in the United States, you would deny that green card status to that right. person. Exactly. Right. Trump. Trump changed that and Trump changed it to um, cash payments and other type of payments like rent or, or, mm -hmm. or medical insurance or things like aid. any way, any you, sort of welfare might, aid is any kind of welfare aid. You're going to be a drag on the system. And so therefore that would be a public charge. And so we will deny you that green card status. Right. Biden didn't like that policy. He no. wanted to change it. So here's what happened. There was a lawsuit that challenged this Trump era policy. It went before a Democratic appointed district court judge and this district court judge struck down that um, that rule. Okay, right. it gets appealed and it's before the Ninth Circuit. Biden is defending this this uh, this administrative rule, this administrative policy, like right. the new administration can do. Then Biden decided, yeah, you know what? We want to change this anyways. Why don't we stop the defense of this, of this lawsuit? And so right. if we stop defending it, the district court opinion will be the rule of the day. We'll be able to obtain this change of policy without going through the comment and and notice period and so that's what okay. they did and that what was before the supreme court so go we ahead call and that back dooring it all right so go ahead and clarify if i missed anything uh yeah, but go ahead and tell me what the supreme court did this week so no you you pretty much nailed it and this may seem political because it's trump versus biden um, or it's Trump versus Clinton, or however you want to look at it. But this is a very simple procedural case. It could be on anything. It could be the EPA trying to get around rules about logging and deforestation, okay. or it could be about right. um, one of the big ones that actually never got challenged, which surprised me, is that Obama ordered the DOJ to no longer pursue um, marijuana as a schedule one drug with right. the same veracity of other schedule one drugs. He just kind of said, we're not going to prosecute marijuana possession cases unless they're the, the giant cases of hundreds of, of pounds of marijuana coming into the country or okay. cartels. But the, you know, quote unquote, everyday American that likes to, to enjoy marijuana, they didn't really care about them. So they stopped essentially enforcing the law, which would have been another opportunity for people to sue, but it's marijuana and we've seemed to become a lax society when it comes right. to marijuana. Right. But, but this is something that is very, very heated and politically charged because it's about immigration, not, and it's, and it, but it's really not. It's about how you change a rule in the executive branch. And we're using immigration as the backdrop for this drama and it's right. It's great political points because um, Arizona, you know, we've already said that I'm an Arizona guy. Mark Burnovich um, is running for higher office this year. 
So Mark Burnovich is going to bring as many cases as he could during his time in Arizona to um, to bolster his political reputation in the the um, Republican Party. Mark Burnovich is running for Senate. So he's using it in his ads here that he's taking on Obi- uh, Biden's ah. he's taking on Obi- um, Biden's immigration plans and he's fighting for a safer Arizona and that's why we should elect him senator. Hold on, hold on a second, just yeah. pause. Did you did you just say Obiden? I did, I did for a second. Wow, what a Freudian slip! You right. you wanted Obama to still be in the White House and so you called Biden. Oh, Biden. That is a great Freudian slip. I like that. We're going to put gotta, that on the I top gotta of the podcast. I got to find that ad because there is an ad where he's called O'Biden. Really? And, right. There's a senator who's running in Arizona and is what it is. You get to put out whatever political ad you want, but he calls him O'Biden. And it's like, Interesting. it's a, it's a, it's a, a black man that could represent Obama, slender black man. And he's like holding the puppet strings and it's this older um, elderly guy who's kind of moving like a marionette, and they call him O'Biden. Right. And well, is it is it fair to say that the Supreme Court, the justices there, they were they saw what was going on, and they did oh, not sure. like it. They did right. not like the new administration trying to avoid right. the notice and comment period. They said, look, this is important to how our laws right. progress and how agency policies are changed. We need this. And we don't like the fact that you got around, as you said, backdoored, well, backdoored this yeah. change of policy. That well, being said. Three years ago, they slapped um, Trump for it. When they tried, they when Trump tried to do the the DACA thing and shut down DACA completely, the Supreme Court's like, "Hey, this is not how we do things here." And then Biden right. comes in here, and the Supreme Court's like, "Did you not listen? Did you think that we were just going to give you a free pass because you're not Donald Trump? Like, no, this is how we do things here." But even though the court, I thought there was a groundswell of of opposition to what Biden did here, they did not know what to do about it. In other words, they were—they don't want to set the precedent that future administrations will follow this as a way to change, right. pol- you know, agency rules and avoid the notice and comment period. But right. even though they don't like it, I did not get that there was a consensus amongst the court as to what to do about that. Right. There, I think it's going to be a plurality opinion, just because the court, and I think you're going to see like. And I think I don't know if it was you and I or talked about it or you another friend where it's like Gorsuch and like Keegan and Roberts are going to be on one side. And then you're going to have Sotomayor and Comey Barrett and right. Thomas and maybe, you know, um, um, Breyer before he leaves. on this. So it's going to be it's going to be weird how the how the chips fall on this one, because you're going to see a lot of mixed red and blue on both sides of this decision. What it you may will. be, the- whatever it may be. Even though, as you pointed out, this case involves Trump and it involves O'Biden, it does. It, it's it's not going to be a political decision. This will not no. be. It might be five four, but I would be shocked if it's your standard five four split. Because right. even though this sounds political, it's not. It's procedural. It's a procedural rule. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so one side <laughs> might use it now, but if the administration changes hands and let's just say Trump gets back in office. Trump will then use it then. And so you got to be careful how you are setting precedent here because what is good for the goose is good right. for the gander. I don't even know what a gander is, but nonetheless, that's what the, how the saying goes. So I would be, <laughs> I agree with you. This is going to be a weird collection of justices on either side, on the majority and the dissent. You're going to see a weird combination of justices that you do not normally see. All right. That was the Arizona v. City and County of San Francisco. I find it very interesting. You are from Arizona, and mm-hmm. you're there in Arizona the very day this is argued. You right. really know how to get around. Right. And I grew that, up in San Francisco. Wow. This was that, my case. You're, you're all over this place. This is my case. This is my jam. Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? Love it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how you're going to worm your way into this next story oh, to see how you relate to this. But I'm sure there'll be a way to do that. I know. The, the Supreme Court also this week, big news out of the Supreme Court, granted right. cert in 303 Creative LLC 
the illness. What this case was about was there was a uh, Lori Smith owns a graphic design firm in Colorado and and she opposes same sex marriage on religious grounds. And so she want she she wanted to broaden her her website business to include creating wedding websites. But she did not want to use her talents to create websites for same-sex marriages. And so she put on her, or, or she, she filed this facial challenge against Colorado's law that prohibits discrimination in public accommodations based upon its sexual orientation. Of course, right. most of the people out there already know that because you are familiar with the Masterpiece Cake Shop case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court just a few years ago. <laughs> and so this is another lawsuit there in Colorado. It's a facial challenge. Chris, what do you think about this case? It's what's the nice way to say about this? It's manufactured. It um, is. It's a hundred like. The, the law in Colorado is you can't discriminate based on sex, sexual orientation, and a couple other things. Um, the case is specifically set up to challenge whether or not a person can put, um, I don't want to serve homosexuals through whatever businesses I have. Um, and they want to challenge that as a free speech, a freedom of religion, a free exercise of religion. And it's manufactured because she hasn't done it yet. Like, they're she hasn't been fined. She hasn't like, it's just challenging whether or not she can do it or not. Right now there, so. now the masterpiece cake shop case, the one that came out of Colorado right. a few years ago was right. not manufactured was in not. that case. This person actually created wedding cakes. Someone came into his shop and said, I want you to design a wedding cake for my same sex marriage. He said, no, based upon religious grounds. Right. And that was an actual controversy with this person. There was a, a, a complaint that was filed. He was found to be guilty uh, in violation of the, that ordinance. And that went to the U S Supreme court. Right. right. But here is the rule under our land. You don't have to subject yourself to an unconstitutional law before you challenge it. And Correct. the thought there is if you if the if they required you to subject yourself to unconstitutional laws before you can challenge them, it would suppress speech because many of us would just say, yeah, you know what? Right. I just won't speak rather than speak, have a complaint filed against me, have to hire a lawyer, fight this in, in the public arena and maybe lose all kinds of all kinds of business and customers. Yep. I'm going to file a pre-enforcement challenge. And that's what they did here. And there are some um, parameters under the law so you can, right. when you, for you to file pre-enforcement challenges. One of those parameters is called chilled speech. So if you said, look, I want to speak out, but, I can't. but I'm afraid to because of this law. So I, this law needs to be struck down. That is an avenue for you to file a pre-enforcement challenge, which is what they have here in this case. Now, right. I find this interesting because I used to work for this organization and, yeah. and I, I was, I was involved in these kind of lawsuits. And so I know how the thought process goes in the back rooms. Here's what goes on. You're in the back room and you're saying, I don't like this law. I want to challenge this law. Who would be the perfect plaintiff? What would be the perfect facts, the perfect factual scenario to challenge this law? And so exactly. this case is going to the U S Supreme court. And I'm telling you, Based upon almost the ideal set of facts a litigant can have, why do I know that? It's a pre-enforcement challenge. The lawyers right. made sure the facts were perfect before they brought this case. Right, and that's, I mean, that's and that's part of trial strategy. I, and I think one of the things that our listeners come in and want to know about is why would a case like this make it to the Supreme Court? And the 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 short answer of it is it's designed to. This case is set up and designed to make its way up through the appeal system to the Supreme Court to get a definitive answer on these right. issues. It's not like the ADF, which is the company that is the, or I'm sorry, the firm that's representing the the 303 Creative. They know what they're doing. They argue on the Supreme Court all the time. They want to get a definitive answer, so they're going to take it all the way through the system. That's the whole point of having a manufactured case like this. There's nothing wrong with this. You want to test the rule of law. The whole point of our, you know, our civil case system is to make sure that laws that are constitutional stay enforceable and laws that are unconstitutional are removed because we are a system of freedoms and checks and balances. So 
on every single side of a political ideal, it's going to be designed by these lawyers to make it all the way to the Supreme Court to have this sort of high profile answer to their question. So let's analyze here the merits of a case. And so the yeah. plaintiffs basically brought two different challenges, a free speech challenge, which said, right. hey, this law violates this uh, this business owner's free speech rights. The second argument they brought was a free exercise claim. And the, uh, how that works is the, is the plaintiff is saying, look, this law burdens my free exercise of religion. Now, they're actually, right. that has that two different subparts to it. One was there's a case called Employment Division v. Smith, and they wanted right. that law overturned, that precedent overturned, but right. that is a free exercise challenge. Well, the court granted cert only on the first issue, the free right. speech issue, and so did not pause. touch. Yes, let's, let's pause real quick. Free exercise is the ability for people to exercise their religion without the encumberment of government telling them not to. Yes, and then free speech is being able to talk about things without the government telling them not to. So, for those of us who are not lawyers at home, this case was brought up that saying that Colorado was they challenged it, saying that Colorado was saying that. They were challenging, saying that Colorado wasn't allowing her to practice her religion the way that she wanted, and it was stopping her from talking about her ability to practice her religion, and the court ruled that the exercise part, Colorado was not suppressing her religion, her practicing of religion rights. Well, the, the Supreme Court is saying we're not going to take up that we're issue. Not, yeah, I'm we're sorry, only going to take I mean. up the free speech issue. Right. We're not talking uh, about and, that and, right now. And here's why it's important. Um, free speech is a much more narrow avenue. Let me just give right. you a patient example. Let's go back to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. That was a case that came out a couple yes. of years ago, same state, went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the issue there was wedding cakes. Is is wedding cake free speech? Is, is wedding cake expressive activity? When you make a wedding cake, is that expressive activity? And during my CLE classes, right, the ones that educate and, and entertain, entertain. We, Exactly. We unpack that. And here's the illustration I give, Chris. If you go to McDonald's and you buy a cheeseburger, is that cheeseburger, is does it contain expressive qualities? No, it's called no. heartburn. That's what it right. contains. It, there's no expression going on with a McDonald's cheeseburger. On the other hand, let's say you go to some portrait studio. They're going to paint your portrait from a picture right. you give them. Is that expressive activity? Well, okay, yeah, that's a little bit more expressive more. than than a cheeseburger. So where where does a wedding cake fall on that continuum? Because if you let's say you are the you you just make a cheeseburger and there's no expression involved. All right, if you discriminate based upon sexual orientation, you have no free speech argument there. And the right. issue, uh, maybe you have a free exercise argument there you don't have a free speech argument. And so that's why the court here is saying, we are only going to take up the free speech part of this claim. And so it's a much more narrow way because most businesses I am going to suggest do not involve free speech. And this is going to be a very narrow subset of businesses that, uh, that use free speech and how they go about doing their business. Does that make sense? Yes. Totally get it. <laughs> Wow, and you got you just got CLE credit for that too. I did. You know that, that's extra five minutes for you. Yes, I'm going to need a certificate as soon as you can. <laughs> it is on its way. All Perfect. right, so I'm going to go ahead and go on the 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 um the edge here, and I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction. This will be a six to three win at, at minimum. If the court right. finds that this is free speech, now I will say the Tenth Circuit found that designing this website undeniably constitute free speech. The Supreme Court can revisit that as well. What do you think? Is I, creating a website free speech? Yeah, I think it totally is because that's what every blogger and every, you know, chrismarone.com or whatever, we rely on that, that the government's okay. not going to police what I put out on on the website. And is it in bad taste? Yes. Is it bad business to throw out that you don't like homosexuals or you don't like gay marriage. So you're not going to design a wedding website for, you know, gay LGBTQIA people. It's bad business. Same. But is it, is it, is the law, you know, there to set up for your business practices? No, let the market take care of it. Let the market drown her out and say that she's useless and nobody wants to buy from her anyways.
Interesting. Well, there was that was your take on it. I just want to make yeah. sure we're clear on that. My take is I'm just looking at the law and I am going right. to predict a minimum of six votes on favor in favor of um uh the the website designer. It might even go more than that. And Breyer, I know, will not be on the court. This is gonna right. be argued next fall. I think Breyer would go also go along with the free speech argument. If this does con- contain speech, you probably are going to get Breyer. You're going to get Kagan as well. You're only going to lose a Sotomayor because she just never goes that other direction. Right. Uh, and so I, I would say that maybe even six three eight one is, but I don't know who the new justice is going to be because Breyer is not going to be there. That's right. why my over under is going to be at six votes mm-hmm. in favor of the website designer. Now, I know, Chris. I'm not asking for your political opinion here, just your right. legal opinion. Would you take that bet over or under six votes in favor of the the website designer? I think that's a very conservative number. I think that I think it might go eight one. Um, okay. I think I mean of the and caveat that the candidates that are the front runners and we haven't talked about this, but you and I both are aware of who the the front runners are for Biden's nomination for the Supreme Court. Chris um, Marone is number one, but Chris then number Marone, two, of course. not too far behind Chris. Not, not too far. <laughs> exactly. It would be Judge Brown Jackson. She right. is from the D.C. Circuit, an appellate court judge. Yep. And she appears to be the front runner. Right. I would say that that, that justice, um, whoever they may be, um, not speaking figuratively, um, would would say that this is a free speech case and it she could put whatever she wants on her website. Just because you don't agree with her decision, she could put what she wants on her website. End of the day. And then and then your opinion would be let the market then right. take care of it from there. Right. Now again, this is not dealing with a a uh, a non-free speech issue. Right. It's just know, free speech. I, and I would suggest that's the vast majority of right. of business transactions out there. It does not involve a free speech. When you go to Lowe's and you buy some paint, there's no expression going on there. That is right. a point of sale transaction. There is no free speech. This only deals with those kinds of cases involving uh, expressive activity. Right. All right. Let's now go over to our courtroom quarterback section. Let's do it. One of my favorite sections of the day. I know we are now post Super Bowl by a couple of weeks, and I have mm-hmm. found that there are still things that can occupy my time. I, I don't just sit there in a corner with my nose stuck to the corner, though you do know I have a new puppy. We I'm do. actually getting a I'm actually getting a second puppy here this weekend. So we are Ooh. really insane at the Oster household. Two young puppies and one old fart dog in the same house. <laughs> Times are going to be interesting here. But that being said. I like talking law and sports. And this next case that we're going to talk about, it's going to get my blood boiling. Uh, Chris, I am so, I I have a lot of opinions. I know you have opinions as well. So we are going to just hash it out right here. This is the U.S. Soccer Federation and the women's players. There was a lawsuit between the two involving equal pay. The female soccer players were saying that they were discriminated against because they were not paid the same as the men as soccer players. They filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. That was settled this last week for $22 million. And so, Chris, my take on this case, and I'll let you give your take as well, my take is that this settlement represents the best of lawyering on both sides. Because here's what I'm talking about. When we, as lawyers, we represent the uh, more than just our clients' legal interests, right? When, When we're making arguments in court, yeah, we make arguments that advance our clients' legal position, mm-hmm. but we also recognize our clients have other interests. Business interests, for example. They, they might be in commerce, in business. And, right. they, and things that we argue in court might, yeah, we might win their court case, but we're also cutting the legs out underneath them. And in soccer, that's really bad. You need your legs. They, they really don't like the use of hands there. So right. my... And so they, you know, this is a, these, these are business. This is a business entity. And so you re- lawyers represent more than just your client's legal interest. And right. here, I think the lawyers for both sides 
went about strategically to resolve this case as a win-win for both sides. And this represents the best of, of lawyering by both sides. Now, here's why I'm, I'm uh, here's where I'm going with this. And Chris, I'm going to give you a chance here to, to call me an idiot. Uh, Cause I know you're dying to. <laughs> Would never. I, I don't think the female soccer players had a leg to stand on with the marriage of their case. And I know my puns are getting really bad, but nonetheless, <laughs> they, they didn't have a leg to stand. I think their claims had less merit than Brian Flores's loss claims Ooh. have in his lawsuit. In other words, Come they, on. yeah, they, they, they have no merit. <clears throat> and here's what I mean by that. Under the, the, the law, Title VII, it requires employers to pay females and males the same for doing a similar work. Right. Right? And, and that was the essence of their argument, Chris. The male soccer uh, industry and the female soccer soccer industry, that's not the same work. It, it is not. Playing uh, in a male soccer league is vastly different than playing in a female soccer. They're not even the same uh, occupation. That's my take. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Well, I disagree. And and there's a couple of reasons why I disagree with that. I think that it is the same work. Um, one, because the U.S. men's soccer team sucks. And so, and, and if we're looking at it from a business perspective, advertising growth, money in money out, the U S men's doesn't bring in the same notoriety as the U S women's. So it's not as a lucrative position. Now, if we looked at, if we looked at the soccer industry as a whole, you FIFA men's FIFA and men's world cup brings in a lot more money than women's. And so if we were looking at, worldwide international dollars we could make the argument that it's not equal work u.s soccer men's soccer is not on the same level as u.s women's soccer and so they're not they're though they're you know it they're playing in different leagues for the for the u.s base look at alone for u.s federation it's there's not the argument to be made that they're doing different things because the women are outperforming outshining out are essentially funding most of us fed and they're getting paid pennies on the dollar. Now you just made the point very well, mind you, but you made the point that the women's soccer players outperformed the male soccer players in their respective sports and tournaments. You did right. a great job and you got no qualms for me. The U S female soccer players are at the top of their game. And whereas the men can barely make it into the JV tournament. I get yeah, that. Maybe, but they're different sports. This is what I mean by that. The, the FIFA is not the U S soccer federation. It is the international body that runs the tennis tournaments. They run the world cup. They generate, they generate for the, exactly. Okay. You're right. right Uh, That's, we're going to get there a little bit later on tennis. My mind's already on tennis, soccer or, or football, whatever you want to say. Footies. Yeah. They run those tournaments. Uh, And so, they generate $400 million for their men's World Cup soccer tournaments. That's $400 million. Now, under their um, their contracts, they then pay out the, to the guys a set amount of money for their winnings in those tournaments. So they get to divvy up that $400 million pie. All right. Now let's go to the women's side. Do you know how much money FIFA generates for the women's soccer tournament? Not much. $38 million. Right. That's less than 10% of what the guys generate. It's not the same thing. The guys tournament is is much more widely watched. It's much more it's much more popular on an international basis. That's where it counts. That's where the money comes from. So when the women say we should be paid the same as the men, you guys say, "Well, hold on a second. You're not playing in the men's tournament. In the yeah. men's tournament is where they make 400 million you're playing in the female tournament where they only have 38 million that's generated from the revenue because this is pause. My... Okay. when when has the u.s men's played for 400 million but when they they when they, they have win, the option to they have the option right? to but they're not doing now 
and I think this is what goes back to my 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 argument. If they were performing, then the argument could be made we pay them more because they generate more income. They're not performing. So why are they being paid more for not doing their jobs? And it's, the people that I, are doing their jobs are being paid less. But what the what, what they do do, they get the the percentage of the 400 million Still, what their part of the pie ends up being more than what the women make, even though they did a lot better. So my hypothetical is, if the women win this argument, it would be mm -hmm. like the WNBA players saying, hey, NBA, you, you own us both. You, you own both the NBA and the WNBA. You need to pay the WNBA players the same as the NBA players. And you would always I say... That's crazy. That's idiotic. There's no way. The money generated by the NBA far exceeds the WNBA. It's not even the same sport. And this is That's, where we, we diverge because I would say it's not WNBA versus NBA. It's the New York Monarchs or the New York Sparks that are three times world champions versus the New York Knicks, which haven't won a playoff game since Pat Riley in the 80s. And the New York Sparks, who are three-time NBA champ or WNBA champions, should get paid more because they're bringing more to the their franchise and their team than the New York Knicks. You're 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 doing it as a league. USF yes. USF is as these two teams because both an NBA champion and the WNBA champion both have champions next to their name. They won. They are at the top of their mm -hmm. profession. So under this argument, you would say, look, it's both basketball. They both have the same employer. I mean, it's the NBA. The NBA owns both the WNBA and the NBA. They should be paid the same. No. No, they're, they're not the same sport. But it's NBA not is different than the WNBA. And I and I disagree because you're, 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 you're saying that FIFA is the same as U.S. soccer, and they're not. This is not... This is not FIFA men versus FIFA women. This is U.S. soccer men versus U.S. soccer women. So it's not NBA versus WNBA. It's New York Knicks versus New York Monarchs. And they're two right, so vastly different teams that are performing at vastly different levels. And the equalized pay should equalize the performance, not the fact that they're associated with a much more expensive league. All right, Chris, I got to say thank you because you have so either wittingly or unwittingly made my point. And, and here's how you made my point. By so articulately advancing your position, you have proven to me that these lawyers are amazing. Did a great, did a great job because here's what I'm talking about because right. there are arguments on both sides. Here's what the NBA, the, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the, the U S soccer federation, so, soccer fed. they had to realize Oh, wait a second here. Uh, in order for us to win this case, we have to argue that the women's soccer is not as good because it's different than men's soccer. Either they are, are less, they're they not as fast, they're not as strong, they don't elbow as hard, whatever. We have to argue it's an inferior product. Why would they do that? Because that right, cuts won. out their business interest. They want to support and uplift female soccer, not degrade it and tear it down. That they, Yes, they might win the legal case, but they would lose the real objective, which is to raise their product. And so the lawyers from both sides realized that. And so they reached the settlement, $22 million dollars, where both sides win right. because now uh, the U S soccer federation is able to say, look, yeah, our female soccer program, it is great. These women are so successful. They're, they're at the top of the world stage. They should be paid the same as men. Look, mm -hmm. let's view them as one and the same. The women, they get now paid uh, equally. Actually, they won't get paid equally. I believe they will have a, a collective bargaining opportunity right. to negotiate their new contract, which is a whole nother issue. But nonetheless, right. uh, let's assume that um, so both sides win. So I think this is an example of great lawyering done right. by both sides. Well, and it's good faith arguing, right? It's it's not it's not we're trying to prove a point. It's that we're trying to work together to make a better system all the way around, which is what lawyering should be. To begin with, is that we're trying right. to find a, a middle ground that makes everyone either equally angry or equally happy. <laughs> and so, in this case, I think it's equally happy. I, I think, think it's both totally sides, equally happy. Yeah, both sides walk away from the settlement going, "This is good for the sport. This right. is good for our revenue. This is good for female sports. This right. is a win, win, win. Everyone is happy." 
Though I will just say for the record, men's soccer, please just make the World Cup one of these Come years. On. Please. Exactly. Have some pride. Be American. I know. Come on. Let's, I, my kids played soccer, so then I started watching soccer. And then it's when I, I or football, whatever you want to call it. You get the idea. Uh, I wonder what they actually think about Americans over there, you know, oh. uh, other parts. They say, really? You guys call it soccer? Do, right. they, do they even know we have a different name for it? I don't know. <laughs> yes. They do, and they're very confused on why we call football a game that we throw a ball to each other's hands, and we call soccer a game where you pass the ball through feet, soccer, and not football. Well, I'll tell you what, you made great points there. Let's see if you make equally as good of points in this next case, the (laughs) Brian Flores lawsuit update. And so we've been covering the Brian Flores lawsuit over the last couple of podcasts because it's a huge lawsuit. I think you and I actually were both in agreement that this was a case that was filed to be litigated and decided not in the courts, the actual courts, courtroom, but in the court of public opinion. And so this last week, um, Brian Flores sat down with his lawyer. And I believe on the HBO show, I forget the name of the uh, the HBO commentator that was on the show. But nonetheless, with Brian Gumbel. Brian Gumbel, that's the guy. Thank you so much. And, and so they basically said, look, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross gave us a separation agreement that contained an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement that would require us to be silent. We did not sign it. And so therefore we left millions of dollars on the table because we would not sign that. We wanted to file a lawsuit to stand up for coaches everywhere. Chris, I I don't even know what to say here. I want to call BS on Brian Flores and his lawyer. I, I don't get this argument on so many different levels. Um, what was your thought about this whole recent, why would his lawyer do this, sit down with Brian Gumble to talk about this NDA? Well, we, we know that the whole entire case is public opinion and that Brian Flores wants to bring an implicit bias discussion to the NBA and all that stuff. What this can, and they're continually doing this, right? This is like the second bombshell, right? The first bombshell was the tampering. And then it's, right. you know, Lovey Smith gets hired, but I don't get hired because I brought this lawsuit. And now it's this. Look, Brian, if it's true and they were going to make you sign an agreement with an NDA saying that you cannot talk bad about the Dolphins or bring anything up about what you said, show me the contract. Put it out yes. there. Right. If it was the standard separation agreement that the NFL provides, That's a whole different story. That's not the Dolphins. That's the standard of the NFL. But you are specifically, and he's playing with fire, right? You're going after this guy's football franchise now. Like before, it could be a discrimination case, and the owner could get knocked around by the NFL, some fines maybe, you know, maybe lose a draft pick or something. Now you're threatening this guy's ownership ability of the team as you keep doing this, and it's going to get ugly. Because the Miami yeah, Dolphins not, aren't gonna aren't gonna stand for this much longer. That actually is a very good point. That they are the Brian Flores and his lawyer are basically challenging um, uh, Stephen Ross's ability to even own his own football right. team. That's how serious these allegations are. You mentioned tampering and tanking. These are allegations right. that that huge, they have made against Ross that could result in him losing the ownership of his franchise. Right. I got to call BS on this um, a non-disclosure agreement. I don't even know what, what you call this. Uh, NDA gate, separation agreement gate, whatever. <laughs> Here's why I'm calling BS on it. They were saying that, look, we had this contract, and, and if we don't sign this NDA, the separation agreement, we wouldn't get paid the last two years of the contract. No. No, that is wrong. I am not buying that one iota. These contracts are written pretty much ironclad. I did an internet research on this this last week. It confirmed what I already knew. When you sign an employment contract for a set amount of years, like these are with the coaches, the employer has to pay for that that five-year contract, whether you coach all five years or, or not. not, if you are fired for anything but cause, which there is no allegation here that he was fired for cause. Looking at um, you, uh, what's his name from the, the Raiders, John Gruden? 
Exactly. Yeah, that'd be different. There you're being fired for cause. Right. But if you're if they just fire you because you didn't win enough, no, they pay you they pay. not four years, three hundred and sixty four days. They're paying you five years total for that contract. It was right. written in stone. You can't get out of it. So so he would not leave a single dime on the table by not signing this NDA. Now, it is possible that what the employers do is they say, look, we might come up with some allegation that we that you, right. we fired you for cause. Uh, and so you sign this NDA and we'll just give up that ability to make that claim and we'll pay right. you under the contract. I don't know if that happened here or not, but what I do know is that the Miami owner categorically denied all aspects of what Brian Flores said. So, Chris, I brought you on this podcast today so you can explain to me what does categorically denying something mean? I categorically deny I understand this question. All right, now I'm even more confused. <laughs> yeah, so categorically is an absolute denial. Like, not even, not even like saying, you know what, this guy's just wrong. You know, we didn't see it this way. Like you and I, Joel, we just talked about the women's soccer team. We didn't categorically fight about it. You presented your opinion. I presented my opinion. They're very different. And the, the case settled as is categorically denying it is setting that bar so high that it is uh, absolutely ridiculous to think that what that was said was true. I deny every aspect of every word that was said in regards to this subject. I got it. I got it. So if you said, Joel, you are an idiot for the following 16 reasons. Right. I could say false. And what I would mean is if you messed up on one of those 16 reasons of why I was an idiot, then your entire statement is false because I was able to disprove right. one. But when I say Correct. I categorically deny what you just said, I'm basically saying you're all wrong on all 16 points, not just the one. So here, what Stephen Ross said was I categorically deny what you said here. There is no NDA. I did not offer you a separation agreement. Chris, someone is lying. I mean, who? I mean, yes. how do you, where is the middle ground here? It's not like both sides are just interpreting the same set of facts differently. Right. One side here is a blatant liar, right? Or am I misreading this? No, one side is, and, and here's, you're right. One side is a blatant liar. Here's my, here's my overarching issue. Overarching issue. What is to be gained? There are hundreds of studies that talk about the reasons behind why people lie. They want attention. They're embarrassed or they're shamed. They're guilty. There's a lot of reasons why people lie. Why is Flores lying right now? Roger Goodell in the office is having more and more discussions about diversity. The Washington commanders took down some of their stuff because they're talking about race and diversity. Brian Flores got hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers, which we talked about in previous podcasts about how they have the model for making minority head coaches and supporting those minority head coaches and Mike Tomlin. What What is to be gained by continually lying about this? He's got a job, which you and I both thought he wouldn't get. Um, what's to be gained from Brian Flores' lying? And what's to be gained by the Miami Dolphins lying? Who has... Who, who has you know, who benefits? Uh, wow. Latin is K bono. You know, who, who benefits? And Interesting. So, All right. I don't know the answer to either. that, but I am. I, we are going to follow this because someone is lying. And one of these days, I think we're going to find out who that is. All right. Lastly, in the world of sports, and I am going to do my best to shoehorn this into law as well. Uh, a tennis a tennis player from Germany named Zverev. Zverev, I'm sorry. I'm so bad at pronouncing their names. One of the best tennis players out there is Djokovic, and it, was, it took me forever to learn how to pronounce his name. But Zverev, who I saw him play at the since at the Western Southern Open last year, is a great tennis player from Germany. He was playing in Mexico City last week, mm -hmm. and after his doubles match, which, by the way, he lost, did not play that well, he went to the umpire's chair. Now, for those of you who don't follow tennis, just bear with me here. Yeah. 
I'm a huge tennis fan. I love tennis. I go to watch tennis matches. I play tennis. I, so I'm, I'm very up on these players, uh, even though I cannot pronounce their name. Well, Indeed. this guy had a little bit of John McEnroe in him. So the umpire's chair is right there to the side of the net. He goes over to the umpire's chair, is so frustrated, he takes his racket and slams it against the umpire's chair several, several times. Like he's beating that chair. He's destroying that racket. Right. right. Now, to the umpire's credit, he did nothing. He did not even blink, did not move, did not wince, did nothing. Good. He just sat there and took in Zavera's little, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, what a tantrum. Yeah. He, he did lift his leg to avoid getting hit. Intra oh really? Oh, yes. I, did not I, read, see that. I read that. I read that a little bit. That he did like when when Zavera came up and started beating the chair. He did move his legs out of the way in case they were to be hit. So I would say that's so the he, only action he did. My first take on this story is that's how bad a lot of country club tennis players are. Yes, I have seen them. I've been involved in tennis and coaching for now almost what six years. There are a lot of them out there that throw tantrums. It is embarrassing to. Get, come across some of these entitled country club kids. That being said, um, that's my first take. The second take is this. At what point does an athlete's actions turn criminal? Because Ooh, if, if you're on the court and you beat up the other side, well, you know what? Not in tennis. Let's just say basketball or baseball. That's just considered part of the game. The emotions are running high and we allow a little bit of aggression on the field of play, oh, but we, we love all to recognize. See it. We love to. See, yeah. I I love watching old videos of Nolan Ryan smoking heat down the the pipe at batters and then them fighting afterwards. I, yeah, exactly. It. That's part of the game, and we right. there's an assumption of the risk there that when you play in these games, right. you are assuming that risk, and so even though it might be criminal outside of the sports context. We're going to say it's not criminal in this in this context here. But here you have a tennis player after the match going not against the other side and not in a combat sport, going up to the umpire and bashing his chair with your racket. At what point is this criminal? I I think we, we laced into a couple of things or we wandered into a couple of things that are really good. One... There are sports that are combat-based. Boxing is the easiest one to throw out there, right? right? Two guys go in and beat the crap out of each other. Football, some levels of baseball, there's fighting. Hockey, right? There's some of these sports where combat is not an integral part of the game. I would say tennis. Now, if I'm hitting a ball, <laughs> but let's be honest. If I'm hitting a ball, right? I'm McEnroe, you're you know Borg, and we're doing this, and I hit you with a tennis ball, that's part of the game. Right. right. We're hitting we're hitting tennis balls at 90 miles an hour back and forth at each other. You get hit, that's not assault. Now, yes. if you go and run up and try to beat the crap out of the referee, that's assault. In any sport. Yes. Any sport. Players can fight all the time. When you go and attack the officials, that's a crime because the officials don't enter into that consensual agreement that physicality could be a part of it. Unless there's only one place where it does work. And that's What's in, that? that's in golf. If you're an official in golf, there's a chance you may get hit by a stray ball when a golfer okay, hits makes the ball. Sense. Right. Right. But all other sports, you don't beat up the officials. And I'm thinking maybe in baseball, there's enough history there where you have Billy Martin throwing the hat down, right. kicking dirt on the umpire. But no, I, I think... <laughs> We and there's a difference between it. kicking dirt on the umpire and trying to hit him with a tennis racket or a baseball bat, oh, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Mike Trout strikes out and the coach runs out there, picks up Mike Trout's bat and swings at the – or, like, slams the bat around or something like that. That's That could be construed as assault. And they should be prosecuted for that. You know what? Great example. Let's just say it, it was baseball right. and the guy took his baseball bat and slammed it against a player or right next to a player and very aggressively. Yeah. I would think that's criminal act. That, that right. baseball bat can kill that person. Exactly. That is escalating it to a point that no one assumed that risk when they went on the field that day. And so here, I think what Zverev did 
was a criminal act and he no longer is my favorite tennis player. Actually, he never was my favorite tennis player. Go. But nonetheless, I I, uh, I think that's just how sometimes these um uh, country club kids act. They, they like to throw their rackets. All right. That right. was my best attempt to combine sports and law as we end today's podcast. Hey, before I let you go to go out there, I know Biden is trying to get your ear about who your last nominee, your last recommendation is going to be. Any final words? Be good to each other. Man, just play, have fun with sports. Stop taking it so seriously. You know, be be kind. We need it. And look, especially with what's going on, I know we're not political, we're not getting into this, but, you know, what's going on with Ukraine and Russia and the United States right now, we just need to be more kind. You know, there's a lot of bigger picture things that are going on right now. And we need to we need to focus on that. There you go. I'm, I'm gonna give you the word for the day to piggyback on what you just said. Have you ever heard of the word bicoda? No, I have not. There you go. You got your word for the week. B Y K O T A. Is that right? B bicoda. Be ye kind one to another. And so I love that. Uh, there you go. That's our word for the week. So that being said, have a great week. Say hi to Joe. We'll do. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.